everyone. Thanks for coming back. Today's episode is on Christopher Nolan's Mindbender Inception. As always, you don't have to watch the movie in order to listen to the episode, but we will never stray away from spoilers. We do have a special disclaimer for this episode. This movie features an actor who, at the time of filming, identified as female but has since transitioned to male. However, the character the actor played is female, so to avoid any confusion when referring to the actor, we will simply use the actor's last name, and when referring to the character of Ariadne, we will be using feminine pronouns. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about our first impressions, the music for the movie, and the overall plot, so let's get rolling. I'm your host, Audrey. And I'm your co-host, Sheree. So sit back, relax, and please don't silence your phone while we check your cinematic pulse. Uh, do you want Audrey. to start us off with your first impressions of this movie? Yes, actually. I will give you 18-year-old Sheree's impression of this film, because I think that's the first time I watched it, oddly enough, in my psychology class in high school. Really? I... You had to watch this in high school? Yeah. It, I think it was towards the end of the year. It was like literally senior year, and there was nothing left for seniors to do except exist until graduation. Yeah. And our psych teacher, I believe, played this movie, and it was the first time I saw it. And I think he played specifically because it was a psychological thriller, if you will, especially mm-hmm. because it pertained to the mind and dreams. Mm-hmm. I also think he just wanted to watch Wait, the movie. Wait, you had a psychology <clears throat> class in high school? Yeah. Dang, public school kids. It was cool. My school was um, not big enough to have something so specialized as to have a psychology course. I will tell you, though, I don't remember anything in that class. I think we ta- nah. we talked about a couple things, but nothing super big, but... I knew, like, once I had that class, I knew I wanted to study psychology more, so I did. Well, I was gonna say, uh-huh. hey, your first major was psychology, so there you Four go. Four years. Got that first degree. Um, so, first time I watched this film, I was not as savvy of a film watcher as I am now. But that's not necessarily a bad thing, because I think I enjoyed it a lot more when I was younger. Not saying I didn't enjoy it now, but I think I enjoyed it for its surface level, a lot more and just like as it was as a film like this is about breaking into dreams and stealing ideas and planting ideas and I really liked that and now having rewatched it 12 years later I still like it but I don't think I like it as much as some other films that might have like may, may perhaps I didn't interpret it as much but I, felt, I didn't find as many deeper meanings in this film as I did in like mm-hmm. signs when we watched signs um well okay so like how many times would you say you've seen this movie now at this point twice really i've literally watched it i'm pretty sure i've only watched this movie two full times i've probably watched bits and pieces of it here and there over the years but i think i've only watched the film maybe three times maybe three times maybe i watched it again when i was 18 i was expecting way more than that well i was gonna say like maybe it's kind of like lost its novelty at this point it's not that, because I, I knew you might say that. I still think huh. it's, a, it's a visual feast. I still love it visually. A it is still, visual feast. It is. Love it's it. such a gorgeous thing to watch. I love watching this film visually. And I love, I, we'll talk about performances and stuff, I know, the next episode. But any watching Leonardo DiCaprio on film in anything is just, he's such a physical actor. He's my favorite mm-hmm. physical 
actor. He's really? obviously great. Oh, that's fun. He's obviously great emotion, like emo- with his emotions and stuff like that, and acting through his emotions. But I love his physicality mm-hmm. on screen. Like I always, I'm like, man, that man is really putting in for his characters. You know, I do too because I feel like sometimes with some actors and their physicality, you can see that there are like certain just like set mannerisms that they've been taught in acting school. But that's mm-hmm. not what DiCaprio's are. Like he has no. a very like evocative mannerism. Like they kind of, it's very engaging. He's the Mm -hmm. kind of person that if he were sitting across the table from you, you would want to, like, lean into the conversation with him. Right. And, like, I love, like, when it comes to, like, physical acting, like, especially if I'm acting, which isn't very often, but if I do, I think of, like, him and, like, how I want to, I want it to seem not like this movement is staged. I feel like his movements never Mm -hmm. feel staged. You know they are. Mm -mm. But the way he moves Yeah, no, but they don't. They feel very casual and intentional. Yes, there, there's, oh, there feel the like especially the scene in this film where he's like squeezing through like those that tight wall, those walls when he's being chased. I remember Ooh, seeing that yeah. in the trailer, and I was like, "This man is just—he's too good for us. <laughs> this man is—we <laughs> so don't deserve good. DiCaprio. We don't deserve that him. man. Deserved I, more awards than he got. Okay, he he has. I don't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say the Inception was one that he would have been like. This is Oscar worthy, but it certainly was. As far as, like, again, Here's physical movement. I think like, I do remember being mad that he didn't win at least an award for this movie. <laughs> he should have won a, an award for Aviator. I digress. But I also think that might have been the year that Ray came out and Jamie Foxx won. To which I was like, Jamie Foxx didn't right. deserve that one. Jamie Foxx, if he didn't win for Ray, I would have I been upset. Right. I mean, it, that's, that is the trouble with winning awards. Is like you could give your absolute all and there could still be a better movie Other out people. there. Like you could have given the best performance, but, you know, it's like apples to oranges. Like there could, was mm-hmm. a completely different movie and somebody had another opportunity to be given even better performance that year. You know, that's right. that's the, the pitfall of those. Um, but I guess like for my my general thoughts on the film now is it's still a visual feast and I still enjoy watching it. And I enjoy especially like tom hardy i feel like steals the scenes every every scene he's mm. in he steals mm-hmm. it um love him well his british Actually, accent my, is beautiful my brother and i still quote the what 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 does he say we mustn't be afraid to dream a little bigger darling and it, like my yes. brother Aaron and i still quote and then that pulls so up a often. grenade launcher <laughs> it's it's sexy man like my god <laughs> um but i think overall like Maybe when I was 18, I would have given this film, like, an 8 out of 10, 9 out of 10. But I think as my age now and being a little more savvy and understanding of films, I'd give, like, a 7. Six and a half or a 7. It's still a great film. Really? And I, like, if I could break down and rate different parts of the film, there are some things I'd be 10 out of 10. There are some things I might be, like, 5 out of 10. Um, dialogue mm. at time, mm. I think, is a 5 out of 10. But I like how they mm. explain the story, but it's very... I'm telling, I'm saying this out loud because the audience needs to know. You know what I mean? Sure. Yes. Um, but overall, I do enjoy this. So it, overall, it's still, it's ranked very high. It's still a 7 out of 10. It has a lot of rewatchability. This is a movie that's going to be discussed for years is, to come. Rewatchability is key. Absolutely. Right. And this, this movie will be discussed forever because of that ending scene that which we are not going to talk about now mm. because that's a whole oh, different topic. We, we will get into it. We will. We'll do that. Um, but yeah, so what um, were your impressions then? Okay, so I, I guess I saw this movie around the same time you did then, because I think I would have been, this came out the summer before my junior year. So I would have been, I think, like getting ready to turn 17. Um, mm-hmm. And I went to see it with some 
high school friends. And if I, I think if I remember correctly, I went to see it with a boy who had a crush on me and he wanted to hold my hand during the movie, but I was this too enraptured with film. the plot. I was like, no, no, don't, don't touch me. I'm busy. <laughs> I think he was really salty that he couldn't put his arm around me because I was like leaning in and was like, what is going on in this movie? I really liked it. It's a good um, film. It is. It's a good film. Um, I do remember just getting completely lost in all of the action uh, the first time that I was watching. Like, I forgot what the plot was altogether the first time that I saw this movie. I was right. just lost it's... in all the action and then running around in people's dreams. I was like, this is so cool. I don't mm-hmm. know what the movie's about, but this is really cool. <laughs> I think it's still um, even kind of hard to follow being older. Like, still, even watching it just, the you know, last night, I was like, whose dream are we in? Like, yes. What? Okay. I have. What are we doing? Comments on that for sure. <laughs> I definitely have comments on that. Um, I, and so talking, prefacing, talking about the ending scene. Um, when I first watched the movie, I was convinced that he had actually woken up. Um, you know, I was, I was firmly like, we saw his totem wobble. He woke up. He got to go home yeah. to his kids. Like, he's in Me reality. Too. Me too. Um, that was my 18-year-old thoughts. I was like, I want this so to be the ending. Later, I believe actually that year, my junior year, I enrolled in a creative writing class um, in my high school, and which was later than what my minor wound up being was creative writing. And uh, I learned that writers very much enjoy giving dissatisfying endings. And the more I studied good art and good writing, uh, I very much became convinced that Cobb did not actually wake up at the end of this movie. I, in rewatching this in the past day or so, I have realized that I don't care because I I was invested in what he wanted. I have comments on this because I love that you don't care. This makes me really happy. (laughs) I cared a lot when I was 18, I was convinced it fell. I literally was like, the site, like, I was like, sites, it was wobbling. It would wobble. It was wobbling. <clears throat> it's gonna fall, gravity. But honestly, it's what's funny is like, I cared so much. I remember caring so much when I first saw this film. But then in my rewatch, I'm like, I don't care because he got what he wanted. He wanted to see his kids again. I, I don't know yes. if I believe that he's asleep or awake because I just, I'm like, I'm invested in what he wanted, whether it's real or not, who knows? And I think that's honestly the beauty of Inception is that you go on this journey with him and he decides at some point, I don't care if I'm awake or not. I just want to see my kids. Mm-hmm. Yes. I love that you think that I'm going to, I'm going to save my theory and my explanation of my theory until a little bit later. <laughs> Because I definitely want to like talk about it a little bit first, and then I, I'll I will tell you once we talk about it, and you let me know what you think. Fair <laughs> um, so you were talking about how this the plot of the movie is a little bit messy, um, mm. and and I completely agree. Uh, and I found out actually that DiCaprio actually helped to soften the original plot and make it more character driven. Apparently, he was actually cast first um and and christopher nolan wanted him to play dom cobb Mm -hmm. and and so once he was cast he took a look at the original script and was like this is way too confusing and he actually worked closely with nolan to help rewrite the script 
So he actually had a huge say in how the whole arc of the movie occurs. And he made it much more about one man's struggle um, with his past. And in order to be able to go home, he made the movie more character driven. DiCaprio did. And I think had it not been more character driven, I would have ranked this lower because it would have just been an action film. I definitely. agree. You know? Yes, it, it would have been. Yes, it would have been like another just like memento kind of thing where you don't really care about the characters. It's just a bit of a mind bender the whole time. And you Which get to the end of the fun. movie and you're like, Those what can happened? be fun. Those can be fun. <laughs> right, but, but we've already gotten that. Right. And, so and now not... we get a mind bender, but one where we care. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And apparently, so... um. Which which just made me think, like, dang, what did the movie look like beforehand? Because I guess even DiCaprio was like, this is too confusing. It was even more of a puzzle of a movie before DiCaprio got a hold of it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, man, I want to know what that movie was going to be. I, I want to know how confused I was going to be at the end of the movie. And apparently, you know, we said last episode that my mom suggested this because she hates this movie. <laughs> Um, and unfortunately she, her schedule could not accommodate being on our episode, which makes me sad, but I did ask her why she hated the movie. Um, and she said, because the first time she watched it, you know, we both said we got lost in the action and we weren't really like too engaged with the plot and just, Mm -hmm. you know, just watched it to watch it and just to see whether or not Cobb got home. Um, so my mom said that the first time she watched it, she got to the end of the movie and felt like she didn't really know what had happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, she got a little lost in the action, I guess. She got lost for the in the most sauce. Part. <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. Uh, she, she got a little bit caught up in the action and a little bit caught up in the characters. But my mom is a really intellectual person. My mom is super smart and she really enjoys movies that'll make her think. And Mm -hmm. so she's trying to follow the logic of this movie. And then she got frustrated because the logic didn't track the whole time for her. For her, I'm not saying exclusively. That's just, she felt like she wasn't able to follow it. This is exactly why I rank the film slightly lower now than I did when I was younger, because it's like, I want a little more substance to my stories and my sub stories. Mm hmm. Um, I personally, I liked it. I do feel like going back, I felt like there were a few not quite plot holes, but um, like plot line shifts plot armor that I'll kind of get into no no i'll explain it later so actually okay. um something i did want to do was for our audiences um who've seen inception and are maybe also going like yeah i'm not 100 percent sure 100 sure what happened in that movie but i know i liked it i right. did want to give just like i did want to just kind of condense the plot and give them a gist of the major plot points um mm-hmm. so if you bear with me i wanted to just go ahead and give our listeners a brief summary of of what actually did happen in inception so to simplify the plot uh cobb and his team were hired to extract some information from a man named saito regarding his corporation they fail and in trying to flee the country saito catches them and leverages cobb's legal situation and convinces them to work for him instead he wants them to manipulate a man into breaking up his father's corporation once he inherits it 
This is difficult because Cobb is an extractor, and what Saito wants is inception, the implantation of a new idea that mimics true inspiration, which is where we get the name of our film. Right. So Cobb assembles a new team, and they gain access to the business magnate that's on a long flight. They go under to the first level of the dream, but find out that the subject has had subconscious preparation and his mind fights back, and then Saito, their employer, is injured. So they go under again, and they tell the subject that he is dreaming to gain his trust, convincing him that they are his protection team and that the actual subconscious is the enemy. Within this framework, they then go under a third time now that they've gained his trust, but their efforts are complicated by a projection of Cobb's late wife, with whose traumatic memories he cannot really come to grips. Saito's injury unfortunately overtakes him and Cobb is forced to go even further into the dream into something called Limbo to save him so they can both wake up. In Limbo, Cobb is forced to confront the trauma of what happened to his wife and come to terms with what happened to her and his role in it. The movie ends with all of them waking up and going their separate ways with Cobb apparently finally able to go home to the children he's been missing since his wife's death. So the final shot is of- apparently- Right, apparently. The final shot is of his totem, the item that helps him determine whether he is awake or dreaming, and it's spinning on a table. The camera cuts away just as it wobbles. So, that is the gist of the movie. I hope that kind of simplifies it for anyone else who is like, yeah, I'm not 100% sure what happened, but the action was really cool. <laughs> I love that little summary. That was wonderful. Thank you. Thank you very much. I Well, because I watched it, and like re-watching it, I was like, okay, wait, what happened? That was really kind of hard to follow. Like, and I was paying attention this time because obviously I was writing to analyze and I still was like, wait, where, whose dream were they in? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so one of the, like, I guess plot holes um, in this one is, I feel like actually a plot hole is that... okay so once Cobb goes like under 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 to go get Saito out of limbo the fourth level yeah um once he goes to get Saito everyone else has already woken up out of the dream you know like Mm -hmm. they're just waiting they're back I guess it back in the first level of the dream where it's raining um, and just waiting for the sedative to wear off. So that was what was different about this dream and, and a, a plot point of why they couldn't just, you know, kill each other if they needed them to wake up. Um, mm-hmm. It was because the in order for the sedative or in order for um, the shared dream state to last the entirety of the flight, Yusuf had created a custom compound with a sedative in it to keep the dream stable enough for them to go under that deeply. Mm-hmm. So they couldn't do that they couldn't just die to wake up because their sedative hadn't worn off yet so and i forget what they said would happen if they like died uh in the dream world i don't i don't think they officially said i think they just said like it won't be good um or they would go into limbo i think they said they would go into limbo oh they said to go into limbo obviously because that's what happens to saito is when he actually dies down in the third level of the dream he goes into limbo um so the one plot hole that I feel like I noticed is that they would need uh, a kick to wake them up um, from 
limbo that that was the whole that was a whole big plot point was like they needed to synchronize a kick down through all three levels of the dream mm-hmm. in order to get them all back up to the first level again but so now Cobb and Saito don't have any control they're they had to like leave them they're like literally at the bottom of a lake um because the van launched off the bridge right and I'm like okay there are all the rest of the characters are like sitting on the beach or whatever and or not on the beach but they're sitting on like the riverbank and and Ariadne's like how's he gonna get out of it and um what is Joseph Gordon Levitt's character's name Arthur Mm-hmm. Um, Arthur just is like, oh, he'll figure it out. He'll be fine. And then, you know, we pan to Cobb and Saito down in the dream. And then, like, next thing you know, everybody's waking up. And I'm like, how did they get out of it? Right. Well, I think that was how, the part where, with the gun. Where, where did they find a kick from? <laughs> I I don't... That's, that's, a, that's an interesting point you make because it's like sometimes the kick works in some levels and then some levels you can just shoot yourself and wake up. Right. So, and so I wonder like, if the kick is specific to the first level, because I think it is. Well, they had to do, nope, because they had to do a kick in the second level at the hotel. And they had to synchronize a third kick in the third level. That's when they blew up mm. that, that hospital compound that everyone dropping when the floor caved in. That was supposed to be the kick that they synchronized with the, the well, elevator in the second level and with um, them hitting the water up in the first level. Well, I'm going to assume, like, in the third level, when they're in Cobb's memories, or his world, his dream, you know, Ariane they're, said They're that, never in Cobb's mind. Oh, you mean in Limbo? When they left the, the, the third level, and they went to the fourth level. Man, was it fifth? Five levels? Hold on. No, they went four. So there was one where it was raining, the second one that's the hotel, the third one that's that snow compound, and then the fourth one is Limbo. So then, okay, okay. So Ariane, she says at one point, she's improvising. So when they're in Limbo, when they're with Maul, mm-hmm. and Cobb's whatever... Um, she kicks Fisher off, says she's improvising, and that's how she improvised her kick. So I'm going to assume there's some kind of improvisation of a kick in Saito's limbo. Sure, but then that would only get them back up to the snow compound. Right, but if they're also... Right, but there's... If this is where, you're right, this is where there's weird plot points. Mm-hmm. We have to discuss them, and there's that's theories. Where, that's this they have to enter each kick. Into my theory hopefully, where I don't think that he, I don't think that he's awake at the end. Right, and I agree with that theory 100 percent because you see everyone wake else, everyone else wake up in each level as the kick is happening. You right. only see their limbo and him just waking up on the plane. You don't see his progression of waking up through each dream. And we don't right, know you if don't it see happens. how he got out. Right, exactly. and that's part of the beauty of this film of, did he or didn't he? It's why right. there's so much rewatchability with this film. Is you're like, you keep going back, you keep theorizing, you keep thinking, like, and you look, you look for clues. Like, did his clothes change? Did his hair change? Is his watch different? You know, you look for all mm-hmm. these different mm-hmm. things to see, like, 
well, I got to figure it out. But I, Nolan's too savvy to give us clues like that. He's too savvy. Mm-hmm. If he wanted to, he could. I know. I doesn't... looked for them because there were a few throughout too. the movie. There was there was one that I noticed that in the beginning when they were dreaming and someone looked at their watch, the angle of the watch was upside down. Mm-hmm. And so you were looking at the little 30-second right... mark at the top of the watch. But then when they were up in reality and they were awake, uh, when they looked at their watch, the shot on the watch was right side up. And what I looked does for that, and me, they didn't give us one. <laughs> I also noticed that. Um, what's interesting, though, is I, I have a problem with him showing that because he only does it once. He only shows the upside-down watch and the right-side-up watch once. I don't I know, know if he I layers so mad. that in. I was like, that would have been a great way to include it, but I never saw it again. Right, which I have, like... That's my one of my small issues with this film is I wish that if that was a bigger... like. It, did he use that to get us to start thinking and start looking for clues? Because maybe he did. Um, mm-hmm. Or was it just a one-off? And if it was a one-off, I'm kind of disappointed in it. But if it was planned know, that he only did that so once. Cool. I mean, you could... Again, you, you have to consider and argue all the reasons why a filmmaker does what they do. Uh, wait, what? A filmmaker does what they... Yeah, yeah you got that right. Yeah, why a filmmaker correct. does what they do. <laughs> That sounds so wrong. Well, he does what he do. <laughs> what to do, Yugi? <laughs> but I, I really oh. wish he'd use that a little more, because it looked. I mean, it was really cool, obviously, because time right. and reality and all that is very important in this film. But that would have been an, almost a too easy way for everybody to keep track of whether or not they were dreaming. We'd be looking you know? at people's watches more than we'd be watching we'd be the performance or the. And the visual feast. At the end of the movie, we'd be like, wow, he was obviously sleeping because his watch was still... Although, I think we probably still would have argued about it, really. <laughs> I mean, that's the point of this film. It's We're going to theorize it, uh, theorize about it for ages and ages to come. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, uh, all of that being said, now I feel like I can kind of talk about my theory. Okay. And, and explain why I believe the way that I do. And not just from a writing perspective of, like, writers don't like to give satisfying endings. Um... So I actually have a theory about this, like one that works within the framework of the movie. Um, When Arthur is instructing Ariadne about how to make her totem, he says, no one, don't, don't ever let anybody touch it. Um, Only you can know the exact weight and exact dimensions of your totem. Right. Right. Um, It's it's so you can keep track of reality. Um, But at the beginning of the movie, and I think that he does it at the beginning of the movie because something that happens in it is key, and by the end of the movie, you've forgotten about it. Mm -hmm. Um, At the beginning of the movie, Cobb washes up on shore, on the shore of Limbo, and he gets taken into Saito's compound. The security guards give to Saito what Cobb had on him, a gun, and his totem. So this breaks the cardinal rule of the totems that you should never let anyone handle them but yourself because Saito picks it up and is examining it and holding it. Two people pick it up. Yeah, the security guard for one and then Saito for another. So Saito's subconscious, I guess, you know, his projections and then him himself. Um, So that's why I feel like we can't actually trust his totem at that point because someone else has handled it. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, if you want to get technical about it, Saito really now has a reason to not like Cobb because he just spent something like 50 years stuck in his own subconscious. Right. 
you know, and that plenty of time to forget all the the childish problems of reality and wanting your company to do better than somebody else's, you know, and that's plenty of time to start to resent the man who got him stuck in limbo for an entire lifetime. Mm -hmm. So that's, that is why I feel like he's not awake at the end is because his method of keeping track of reality has been compromised within the logic of the movie. Mm -hmm. But ultimately that being said, I completely agree with you that whether or not he's dreaming isn't the point. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, the point is what DiCaprio swooped in and did with the character and making it so character-driven. And the point is resolution for Cobb's character. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when he was in limbo, he got to hold on to his wife as she died again. Mm-hmm. Um, and he got to say the things that he couldn't say before to her and tell her what he had been hiding about Inception. Right. Um and we got to see that really beautiful moment of realizing that they did get to have their entire lives together. Mm-hmm. They grew old together. It mm-hmm. was they were not young still when they laid down in front of the train to, to wake up. That they had lived their entire lives in limbo. He'd gotten an entire life with her. Right. Um, so really, by the end of the movie, the the only point was that character driven point of that Cobb had forgiven himself and he was right. able to finally move on and dream again and dream about his children. Cause even, you know, he sees their faces at the end and he said before that when he was dreaming, he would never see their faces. His projection of them was only his last fleeting memory of them outside playing. And then they run away before he can talk to them. Right. So again, I, my, my theory is that he's not awake, but that it doesn't matter. I also like the thought of, you know, forgiving himself where, you know, Ariane says at some point that he built a prison for his wife, but honestly, he built a prison for himself. He trapped all yeah. those memories in his level by level to torment mm-hmm. himself. Like it, I thought, like why do this? But at the end, at, right. eventually, there's the it's resolution. It's literally of, the it's literally the epitome of not being able to let go of your trauma. Mm-hmm. And he trapped him away, right. subconscious. I mean, we all do that. It makes sense. And that I loved the visual, visually seeing, you know, how we trap away our own deeper mm-hmm. thoughts, the things that we don't want to talk about. And it was really cool to see him have that resolution of finally confronting it, going to the levels and being like, okay, I got to say what I got to say. I need to confront her. I need to confront myself. And I need to let go because I'm never going to get what I want if I continue to do this. And again, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if he's a- awake or dreaming by the end of the film because he at least, whether it's reality, whether it's reality or it's his subconscious, he has confronted his demons and he has let go. And because of yep. that, he allows himself to move forward again. doesn't matter if it's reality. doesn't matter if it's a dream. He's allowed himself to mm-hmm. move forward in some capacity to be a father again and to be with his family. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I think, you know, there's something, a really interesting thing that Michael Caine's character says in the movie um, when he goes, to, when Cobb goes to visit him in Paris, he he seems kind of salty at Cobb. And he's like, you know, it's going to take a lot more than the occasional stuffed animal to convince those kids they still have a father. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, man, dude, why is he mad at him? Like, it's not his fault. His wife 
had had gone Looney Tunes and jumped off a building and and then had trapped had literally like entrapped him. He said she had herself declared sane by three different psychologists making it impossible for me to explain the nature of her illness. Right. And and so, you know, obviously he's been accused of her murder, but you know, the more I got to thinking about that, like it's not necessarily like the second he hits american soil he's going to go to jail that's not true it's well i mean maybe for evading arrest or something but ultimately he would be able to post bail and then go to court and try to defend himself and and obviously michael kane's character um would come to his defense about and try to explain the nature of what happened like so i realized that his character did have a recourse he could go home and he could try to battle the court system and and explain what happened and try to avoid getting arrested but ultimately his character is avoiding that whole thing too Mm -hmm. because it means that he would have to face everything that happened and he's not ready to do that Mm -hmm. and that's what i realized too is that ultimately it's not like he's just being kept away from his children he's keeping himself away because he can't face it yet right so um I did want to jump to a slightly lighter topic of conversation, um, and that was all of the the. And we're talking about writing and everything. And one of the elements of writing is naming all of your characters because you don't. I guess some writers just hit shuffle on like the babynames dot com thing. You're like, oh yeah, that's a cool name. <laughs> and uh, but- I, I, some filmmakers are definitely more savvy. Let's think about all the characters in the Harry Potter universe. Oh, completely. So I'm, I'm definitely not saying that for everybody. No, I feel like a lot of writers really have a lot of intention in the naming of their characters. I know I do. I put a lot of thought into naming my characters and, and I put a lot of intention into what their names mean um, or where we've heard those names before in, in writing or in literature or in real life and what right. connotation they carry for people. And I loved what Christopher Nolan did with the names in this movie. Um, specifically, uh, well, I mean, I guess for one, literally Cobb's wife's name is Maul. And that literally that is, means bad. Well, even if, even if you respell Maul to M-A-U-L, that's dangerous. No, right, that's not good. <laughs> like, either way, it's not good. I remember hearing her name and I was like, it's just an ugly name. Ugh. Right? Like, whose name is Maul? I mean, like, I'm guessing, like, she's, I mean, obviously the actress is French, uh, Marion Cotillard is French, and so it makes sense that her name would be French as well. Um, I get the sense that Michael Caine's character doesn't play Cobb's father. Does he play Cobb's father, or does he play Maul's father? I think it's Cobb's, because I think they, I'm pretty sure the mother, like the voice we hear earlier. She does kids, have a I French think, accent. I was like, that, I think he's Cobb's dad, and the mom is the one watching James and Philippa. Is well, the mom, her mom, the the grandma, the yeah, the grandma. It would be Maul's mom because yeah, mm-hmm. I hear her go James Philippa, and she has an accent. Um. Okay. Well, I had wondered if that was her dad or not. Um. But, like for instance, I actually looked up Dom because I thought his name would be like Dominic Cobb, but mm-hmm. it's it's not. He's le- literally never named Dominic. He's only ever called Dom. Um. Which I looked up. The word Dom in most Slavic languages, um, like Polish, Russian, Serbian, is the word for home. Yes. 
Makes sense. Which I thought was so cute because that's literally all all his character is trying to do is get mm-hmm. home. So I'm like, literally named the man home. <laughs> um, and then the two others that I thought were really, really good was uh, Yusuf, um, which is the Arabic form of the name Joseph, um, which in the Bible, Joseph is one of the 12 sons of Jacob, and he had the gift of interpreting dreams. That's dope. Right? Um, it, the, the biblical character, well, the, the biblical figure was sold into slavery and found favor with the Egyptian pharaoh after helping him avert a famine disaster in, in the country of Egypt. And I felt like that character was then very helpful. Um, cause there's, I mean, there's another Joseph, there's Mary and Joseph. Um, but I think the, the dream character is a lot more applicable, especially, you know, finding favor and helping someone avert disaster by being mm-hmm. involved with the whole plan. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yes, excellent naming. Well done. <laughs> um, but my my absolute favorite, absolute favorite, and I told you about this one. Um, is, is it Paige's character? Ariadne. Yes. 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 It is the character of Ariadne. Um, because Ariadne in Greek mythology was the daughter of King Minos of Crete, um, and King Minos commissioned Daedalus to build the labyrinth Mm -hmm. with the Minotaur inside. Mm -hmm. And I'm, like, literally from, like, maze mythology is this character name, and it's absolutely perfect. And then the best, even better, it's, it gets even better than that, the in Greek mythology, Ariadne helped Theseus solve the maze by giving him like a magic ball of twine that helped him keep track of where he was in the maze mm-hmm. and help him get back out of it. Now, I want to quote, or not a quote, I want to point out Ariadne's totem and how I think it's really important and specific because of their name. Okay. So. Ariane has a bishop piece. And for people who mm-hmm. play chess, they know what a bishop does. For those who don't, a bishop on a chessboard can move diagonally on the color it starts on. So there's typically going to be a dark color and a light color that each bishop will be on. And they can move diagonally on those pieces. But if you think about chess, chess is a game, almost maze-like, where you're trying to figure out you got to move all these characters and pieces around to finally eventually get to checkmated king. So the fact that her totem mm. is a bishop and moves throughout this these mazes, I Ooh. really enjoyed that little bit of Ariane's totem being the bishop. Wow, that's really intricate because I guess if you really could think of chess like a maze. It's a maze mm-hmm. of pieces that you need to avoid like obstacles and thread your way through them right. in like order the to achieve checkmate. <gasps> oh, that's interesting. I did not catch that. So when you I told me about super cool. <laughs> when, you, when you told me about the name, I was like, man, that makes her totem so much more special. Mm, I like that a lot. Um, oh, the other thing I noticed with, um, in keeping with the Greek mythology, I did notice like those uh, very divided Greek columns are a very recurring theme of architecture in the movie. And I love them and I need to rewatch it. But as far as costuming for Ariadne's character, I believe the scarf that she's wearing in like the first scene, um, is an atlas. I was looking at her scarf and I think wondering. It's a, I think it's printed with a map on it. 
And I'm like, that's awesome. But you can't really tell because that Mm -hmm. would be way too apropos. But I'm pretty sure it's a very subtle map printing on her little scarf. And I love it. I do. Um, Okay. So in jumping to music, the uh, music for this film is composed by the man, Hans Zimmer. The man. Oh, my gosh. I love (laughs) it. we say this every film we're like oh every i love time. this composer but like <laughs> i have so many hans zimmer songs like one of my favorite ones he ever composed was the sherlock holmes series or the movies the first one and um, game of shadows Ugh. and of he, course oh, the I batman he did dark knight rises series oh my gosh like right, those are obviously. two of my favorites that he's done did he do like interstellar did he do any other christopher nolan movies I want to say yes. Like, they like, they got to be. Is he the abrams Gacchino mixture? Is it is it like Nolan Zimmer? What's is interesting is like, now that we've pointed it out, I'm also like, how often do directors and composers work together? So like in Japan, my favorite composer, Joe Hisaishi, always works with Hayao Miyazaki on Ghibli films. Like, they have so many together. Mm-hmm. It's so wonderful. Let me double check that. Let me see. Um, Interstellar. Hans Zimmer. Yep. Music composed by Hans Zimmer interesting okay so we found another we found another director composer matchup i love those okay um the other the the one song because i of course have some of the piano music from this movie because i also love Hans zimmer and i can he usually writes music not easy enough but he writes music in a way that it can be played on piano even Mm -hmm. if the whole song isn't written on piano um but the song time it's the song is literally called time and it contains the recurring theme that goes throughout the movie um i noticed when i sat down to play it the song is literally written in 60 bpms so it's literally written at the pace that it takes the second hand to go around the clock one time that's so it's i know (laughs) I know, and and then the best part is, is that I never have to use a metronome to play that song because I just sit there and like look at my phone and I'm like, okay, and then get into literal the beat of natural time that is occurring around me, and that is the pace at which you play that song. That's so cool, man. It's so I know. Uh, it's just so neat. That's so good too because usually songs are not written at that pace. They're usually written at sixty four, mm-hmm. um, and. Yeah, so this one's just, I'm, hmm, I absolutely love it. Uh, but I guess the the big showstopper of this movie is the French song, and my mother, I needed to check, my, I should have checked with my mother about how to pronounce this. She took French in, in high school and college <laughs> before I say this, but the um, the French song, Non, je ne regrette rien. Sounds good um, to me. Thank you. I think I got it. I think you just um, asked me out on a the... date, let's be honest. <laughs> Like, oh, yes, I would like it back. We, oui, oui. oui. Um, so the, the French song is the song um, that plays when they wake up. That's their kick song that mm-hmm. cues that they need to wake up from the dream. What a boring kick um, song. I'm sorry. I'd like, yeah, by Usher to wake me up. Like, imagine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what I want my kick song to be. What would you want your kick song to be? Oh, that is an excellent question. 
probably something like absolutely obnoxious like probably one of my like really metal music-y things because that would wake me up like just immediately hearing just like in the background (laughs) someone growling in your ear (laughs) i will never be loved i no i'm just kidding or no i lied um the only song that it, that it could possibly be for me would be Evanescence Bring Me to Life. Dude, and that would actually be The guy be from so 12 Stones like, wake me up, wake me up inside. You're like, ah, there it is. <laughs> that totally like, makes oh, sense, wow. though. Sorry, I love that. <laughs> that totally makes sense. Actually, I have plenty of songs that that could possibly be, and they've all been my alarm at one point or another in life. <laughs> Uh, how in the, you know what, that's a different discussion. Continue about music. That's a different discussion. I'm going to completely <laughs> derail. I'm sorry. Okay. Fun facts about Genere Gautérion is that the original recording with the, uh, the singer Edith Piaf, uh, clocked in at two minutes and 28 seconds. Um, and, and an interesting theme about this movie, um, is that, you know, as you go into the dream time slows down your perception of time is is sped up significantly when you're in a dream um or you know it can be the reverse too it feels like you've only been dreaming for five minutes and then you wake up and spend eight hours you know that kind of thing so but to play with that perception of time um this that song two minutes 28 seconds the recorded runtime of the full length of the movie Inception is two hours and 28 minutes. Again, dope stuff. Love that. How is that? Like, that's so awesome. How do you, like, first of all, like, how do you even, like, do that as as a producer? You Can know? I do, no, as like, an editor. That's an editor's as a, job. As an editor, yeah, really. How, but, like, you have to decide what scenes to cut. And, mm-hmm. and make like maybe one scene needs to be like a little bit longer to make sure that you hit that exact minute mark. I mean, like that's like, I mean, like that's like the MCU, one way like, I love you 3000 kind of thing. One way to cheat that is the easiest way I feel like you can cheat that is consider your credits at the end and how fast or slow you want to roll them. Well, I guess that is cheating. Well, OK, well, so then like the I love you 3000 thing for Tony Stark, because apparently w- did that not total every minute of his screen time? Oh, I don't know. he had been in the MCU. Yeah. Okay, no, I'm going to look this up um, because I've seen this. Hold on. Okay, so no, it wasn't his screen time. It was um, Avengers Endgame directors Joe and Anthony Russo have de- Wait. Oh, they debunked it. Never mind. Hmm. Fan theories, man. Yeah, I guess it was a it was a fan theory that the memorable like I love you three thousand line was a reference to the combined three thousand minute runtime of all the MCU movies. I think actually, if I remember reading, this also could be a fan theory. There's no way to prove this. I want to say that I love you three thousand was something that was suggested because Downey's own kids say it or said it to him. Aww, that could be cute. again. That could be another fan theory, but I don't don't quote me on that. Well, I guess the the full runtime of all the MCU movies at that point in time was 3,000 minutes, I guess. But uh, that was not what the line was in reference to. So, all right. I'll accept it. Uh, okay. I, I approve. 3,000 minutes seems way too little, but I don't know. Really? That seems like forever. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, considering any given movie is usually only 180 minutes. Give or take, yeah. Give or take, yeah. So, um... So, 
anyway, back to Inception. Right. Um, the the cool things about this French song, because I'm not going to keep saying the name. I'm going to butcher it one of these times, and I'm just going <laughs> to I'm gonna consider the, these couple times that I've said it to just be okay. Um, so I guess they, they did pick this song on purpose, and I know I told you about this. Uh, yesterday was um, what? What are what are those heavy notes called? Downers. The downers. It's it's an the downers. Te- the the, the, the inception noise effects. that we've all. Mm-hmm. That's what sound we call effect. the inception noise now. Is a wah noise. Um, apparently, those noises specifically for this movie were created from the blaring trombones uh, that start off the french theme that is the kick so those tones actually come from the song that they use as their wake-up song that's so cool i know right i'm like well now i need to go listen to like the whole thing and not just that one part that we've all heard over and over and over again um so which i guess another thing with that whole like playing with the perception of time um I did notice, especially once the characters get to, like, the third level of the dream and they hear the kick song of, of Arthur signaling that they're he's getting ready to drop them, um, that the song, when it plays in the third level of the dream, is actually, you can hear it really, really faintly if you're listening for it. It almost sounds like a voice on the wind kind of thing, but it's not at speed. The song itself is slowed down. Okay. Right, which I thought was just a cool little Easter egg that it, it it tries to stay with that warped perception of time once you're within the dream world. Um, and I guess so. If you look up, if you look up the lyrics for this song, and I, I won't quote them all because obviously the original song is in French, but essentially, um, the the English lyrics of the song are um, saying like, "No, I don't regret a thing." And it's talking specifically about a relationship and how the singer doesn't regret a single thing that occurred in the relationship. All of the good times, all of the bad times, all of the fights that they had, she doesn't regret a thing. Hmm. And so I thought that that was a really sweet song to pick, especially for how character-driven this movie is and how much this character is dealing with regret. Right. That this would actually be a very intentional song choice because of the words of Mm. the song. I love that. Right? I thought that was really sweet. Um, So, and, and I guess even Christopher Nolan made a point of saying that he chose the song specifically for this movie um, which this movie being heavily concerned with the effects of the effects of memories on the mm-hmm. psyche. I mean, you know, with with poor Cobb, like even if he's not the main dreamer, he's still pulling in his projections because he can't get over them. Right. You know, literally has a train go barreling through the city that they're trying to get through. Mm-hmm. Um, and Nolan said that there, he specifically wanted to focus on the disastrous effect that not letting go of memories of love gone wrong can have on the subconscious well not only like memories but ideas too like think about something Mm -hmm. i I think about often is like my dream to work in films and just work in the film industry it it was an obsession for a long time and to the point that i let go of that dream for a while and it aided me like it it, the opposite effect is Mm -hmm. like letting go of what i wanted was so hard because i knew how badly i wanted it in any capacity 
mm-hmm. and then having yeah. a wonderful friend call me out and say you're being a coward like you're the only one holding me back i was like dang it's not me i didn't call you a coward it was not you it was a very dear friend of mine i'm not gonna name them but she they know ba- who they are <laughs> they know who they are she basically called me out and said you are just like you're not creating circumstances but you're letting circumstances hold you back and i was like no one asked you to be right but you know i <laughs> think the same, i think you know in the same that you know these how you know Cobb was being held back by his own inner turmoil you know implanting ideas or dreams and all, all these things all these things can hold you back or push you forward so i really like the idea that this movie mm-hmm. plays on both of those moving forward and being held back right yes no i i completely agree because ultimately it's about processing the things that are occurring mm-hmm. because like i mean for your example you know you didn't get to really process you not being able to go to school for film and cinematography mm-hmm. and and so that's part of why it always ate at you is you know you felt like you had to let go of something that you cared about and you weren't okay with that right and that that really is what this movie deals with is he had to let go of his wife and was forced to and thought that he was going to be okay but ultimately wasn't and had constructed a life for himself that essentially just avoided the problem right and and his subconscious has a way of making you deal with it. I mean, like, I can't tell you the amount of times that, like, I thought that I had stopped thinking about something, and then, like, right after I stopped thinking about it, I would have a dream about it. Oh, yes. And then Your it was brain just, is like, always poor, reminding you. Your poor subconscious is just like, oh, yeah, that traumatic thing that you forgot about, let's just sprinkle that into your dreams. Have a nice night. Have a nice night, honey. <laughs> like... Our minds do have a really awful way of not letting go of the past until Mm -hmm. we're able to really process that trauma, Um, which is exactly what this movie talks about. And and I think the the music, knowing the behind the scenes of the music now, I'm like, oh, that was really good. Really, really poignant and really good. Filmmaking is very much Um, a layered way of telling stories. Facts. Facts. In this case, it had to be a puzzle with a character. It was a character driven puzzle. With many, 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 many layers. And sometimes With you forget what layer layers. you're on. <laughs> what layer are you on? Are they in the snow? The dream? How many? Were there four or five? <laughs> There's so, so many. The Which snow limbo one, are like, they what? in? Right. Okay. Was there anything else that we needed to grab before we wrapped for today? I don't think so. Okay, so that concludes uh, today's episode, part one on Inception. Uh, we talked about... Um, mostly the plot and our theories about, you know, whether or not Cobb was awake or asleep. We talked about the music and our first impressions of it. Um, next week, we're going to get into casting and production a little bit more. Um, so make sure to be back here next Friday to tune in. Cinematic Pulse is edited and produced by Cherie Jackson. The episodes and theme are written and performed by yours truly. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook, and you can find Cinematic Pulse on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Thank you so much for listening, because we just checked your Cinematic Pulse.